Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. You're here to get wisdom from the star namesake, Victor Davis Hanson, who is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor is the, um, well, he's everything. He's a syndicated columnist, essayist, best-selling author, farmer, a classicist, just everything. Victor has an official website. It's called The Blade of Perseus. Its web address is victorhanson.com. And we'll talk more about that towards the end of this uh, episode. We are recording on Saturday, the 16th. And I think, Victor, this is the last episode that I'll leave with you before Santa comes down the chimney. So maybe at the end, I'll do some Merry Christmas wishings. But we're at the start, not the end and the start. I'd like to get Victor's thoughts about a column written by a former student of his and the son of a dear friend of his. That's Eli Steele, son of Shelby Steele, a great filmmaker. And he's got a, a really interesting piece um, in Newsweek. It's titled Claudine Gay. That's the controversial president of Harvard, Claudine Gay is why I never check the quote-unquote black box. It's really, really interesting. And we'll get Victor's thoughts on that and a host of other topics right after we begin with these important messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah. 
it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com slash victor tnusa.com slash victor warmer sunnier days are calling fuel up for them with factors no prep no mess meals meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart protein plus and keto factors fresh never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash victor50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, Head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. We're back with the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Yeah, Victor's... I'm a, I'm a big a fan of uh, Eli Steele in part because I came to know him and actually uh, dealt with him uh, a little bit a few years ago when he and his father produced the uh, documentary, terrific documentary, What, what Killed Michael Brown. But um, he and his dad are working on a new documentary. And in our last recording, you mentioned like – What's at the core of all this racial animus in America? It's really white guilt, and this is the—that's actually the title of the documentary that Eli and and Shelby are uh, and Rita, their mom, working on. So, um, okay, Shelby Steele, black man, right? Well, he's his dad was black, his mom was white. Uh, Shelby's wife, Rita, is white, and they have a child, Eli. And in America today, Eli's piece is, is saying, you know, I am who I am. I want to be d determined by meritocracy, but 
through, through my life of, on the left, there was always this pressure for someone, and we've talked about it before, Victor, like the, you know, the drop, you know, the drop of blood, to be, to be categorized myself as, as black and then take advantage of that when I'm applying to college. Uh, I kind of well-to-do in my way, upper middle class, let me take advantage of this while black Americans who really needed help were not in a position to take advantage of these uh, of these options, such as, you know, applying for school. Anyway, he's got a piece in Newsweek. I read the title earlier. I just think he's dead on. He says, you know, the Claudine Gay is the poster president, Ivy League president, for what's wrong with checking the black box in America. Your thoughts, Victor? Yeah, I, I, we've talked about this, about this racial fixation. And it's very funny how the left has really dropped, adopted the 116th drop, because once you go down that pathway and you're going to fixate on race, then you you lead yourself into a cul-de-sac because you can't get out because you say, okay, if you're part black, you get all of these advantages in admission, retention, promotion, hiring. But who's to say who's black because you really can't tell necessarily by just visual appearance. So then you have to get into, I guess, genealogy. And when the ultimate result of all this is you get Rachel Dozell who faked her black identity, or you get that Indian student who faked it, who bragged about it, or you get the native American Ward Churchill. That That's the ultimate trajectory of where you're going to go. And, uh, and so I don't I never understood why being one quarter black or one half makes you black. Uh, and, and you can't and I never understood all of these other these other very strange things. You can be black, Jack, and be white looking like I saw that rapper Ice T. Remember him? He looks white. And so does Reverend Wright. And yet I have neighbors who are Punjabis who are much darker. Right. But, but they're not considered. I guess, marginalized people in the same fashion. I guess it's because they have higher per capita incomes than the so-called white average income. And then, as I said to Sam the other day, of all my friends in Selma who are Mexican-American and you can't tell their ethnic, ethnic pedigree because they marry white people and therefore they have anglicized last names, you would never know, Jack, if they were Italian, Arab, Greek, Armenian, Middle Eastern, you'd never know, or white. They could be black, so-called black Irish. You would never know. And yet, if they just had a quirk and a Hispanic man, uh, if they had married the other way, that is a white woman marries, so-called white marries a Hispanic man and gets that name, then suddenly her children are Chicano. But if they have a white name, and they might not look any different. So the whole thing is is failing under the weight of its paradoxes and hypocrisy. And it, I don't know why we can't just go back and say, we're not going to look at race anymore. That was something out of our distant past. And when you've got black billionaires and and you've got a black president and you've got a black vice president, it just... Forget it all. And everything would be so much simpler, cheaper. And then you wouldn't have all this white guilt. 
And if people want to, if the NBA is 75% black and I don't care whether whites are underrepresented or Asians are underrepresented or the U.S. post office has 22% black, I don't care. And so I don't really care about any of that disproportionate. If MIT has all Asians, so be it. That's the, if it's meritocratic. And maybe if I have a grandchild who wants to go to MIT, I'd say, if you want to go to MIT, you better study. Or you better have an aptitude that's the highest. And I can see diversity in thought, but I don't see the the advantage of just picking and choosing people based on their race for so-called. And it just encourages racism. We are more racist now than we ever were. We're so racial essentialism and it's just a tinderbox when you're on a campus i literally when i get within 50 miles of stanford university when i go over each week i get tense because i know that when i pick up the stanford daily and read what's going on or i look at the free speech area and the gaza camp or i look at my emails and i read some statement from a university official it's just I just imagine that I'm in the Soviet Union. It really is. It's just, it's so patently disconnected from reality. And when, according to the Clary Act, when you have to report a suspected crime on campus, I just assume, as everybody does, that if there is the white male who's there, you'll get a full description. And anytime there's not a description of a potential rapist or car thief or assault, then I just assume the person's not white. Yeah. And that's it really it's true. Everybody knows that. Same thing in the in the media. So there's a cynicism about everything and the hostility know, too, Victor, towards the Eli, you know, steals of the world who want again want to be no people right merit, 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 and remember the same name, Sage and last name, Sage Steele. I don't know if you remember her. She was a ESPN announcer who's uh or you know sportscaster yeah i do father was um black military but mom mom's white and she's vilified for not for not picking but you know you have to pick well i don't want to pick i want to be sage steel i don't want to be sage steel black woman and and you know that you you have crossed the line there when you do that I, again uh, I, I i had lunch with tom soul every two or three weeks for about 15 years and I don't think race ever came up except the absurdities of racial classification. And he, he was very funny and ironic, you know, about he'd say things that were brilliant and said, Victor, before, when you were a young boy, did you go to a black physician? I said, we didn't have any Tom. He said, well, you should have, because it was so hard to get a fair shake. They were just preeminent. <laughs> and then he said, after 19, 2000, you have to be very careful because they were given uh meritocratic laxity, a uh, non-meritocratic laxity. And what he was saying was it was anytime, whatever color you were, anytime that merit was not applied, you have to be cognizant of that and protect yourself. So I don't, I don't know where we're going to go with all this, but if we're on, if we don't change, it's not going to end well. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about race, not only America, but Tunisia and your, one of your, your favorite actors, uh, Denzel Washington, Babufu. So we're going to talk a little bit about movies, but before we get your thoughts, Victor, I do want to let our listeners 
know that uh, this Christmas, there's a new film from director George Clooney. It's a rags to riches, absolute crowd pleaser based on the number one New York Times bestselling book, the inspirational true story about one of the most difficult sports in the world and the 1936 University of Washington college rowing team that competed for gold at the summer games in Berlin. And this movie will inspire you. The team rode out of need, need to eat, need to sleep. And it gave them an edge that captures the power of working together to overcome all odds while rowing for America. They don't make movies like this anymore. And it's filled with wholesome content that makes it the ideal multi-generational movie for the holidays. Joel Egerton and Callum Turner star in this exciting and incredible story of courage, hard work, and determination showcasing America at its best. Believe in each other. Believe in the impossible. The boys in the boat. That's the movie, Victor. It opens on Christmas Day in theaters only. Get tickets now at boysintheboatmovie.com. And we thank the boys in the boat for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, staying on the movie theme, you know, you're, I think you've said your favorite actor um, is Denzel Washington. And uh, he is, he's been cast to play Hannibal in a, uh, in a forthcoming movie. And he's being attacked by, well, by Tunisians. <laughs> For all I know, he's going to be attacked by Americans too, because, well, Hannibal wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a black man. Like, who gives a rat's ass? Denzel Washington is such a great actor. Anyway, Victor, any thoughts on this? Well, you know, uh, when we had the Cleopatra movie, remember the black American actress that played Cleopatra, the Egyptian government got very angry. Yeah. Because after all, Cleopatra was a mass of Macedonian lineage and probably over that 250-year dynasty, there had been intermarriage with some uh local Egyptians, but there was no Africans at all. In North Africa, the, Carthag the Carthaginian Empire was founded in the 8th century by Phoenician uh, colonists. So they came from what is today Beirut, Lebanon, and they sailed over to what is today uh, Tunisia, Tunis, and they founded this city roughly at the same time as Rome, and that's the foundational myth of Dido and, and Aeneas that's found in Virgil's Aeneid, that very famous love scene between the two, and then the, the fallout romantically between the two that sparks supposedly the historical hatred that manifested finally in the three Punic Wars. But my point is this, that the Phoenicians were there uh, until their destruction in 146, by Scipio Melianus, they were there for about 700 years, and they populated the coastal plain of Libya and Tunisia, and part, even into Algeria, and into Spain, and into Sicily. But they were Phoenician, and then a Semitic people, and then they were... Uh, they did intermarry with what we call Berbers, who are there today. Those are pre-Islamic, pre-Arab uh, indigenous people of uh, North Africa. And if you look at uh, contemporary representations of uh, Carthaginians, 
or what Romans thought Carthaginians looked like. We have some, I think, of these portraits uh, on wood. They they look, I guess, like a modern day Arab or something. You know what I mean? They're darker, but I don't think you would call them if you wanted to get into the sick racial classification as Negroid. But my attitude about it is that I don't know whether Denzel Washington is 100% black and he it's clear that the Carthaginians were darker, if that's the point a person wants to make, than the Italians were. So you could argue you could say that Denzel Washington could look easily like a Phoenician Berber uh, military leader. But that's it's irrelevant anyway, because Denzel Washington is I, I think he's the greatest living American actor. And I have a really perverse uh criteria for that because i mean there's some movies that were really bad like that roman israel movie i think in 2017 was bad but and i know that people don't think the book of eli was a great movie but i thought the way that he acted was brilliant and that absolutely brilliant american gangster brilliant 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 man on fire that's my favorite it's just god it's i don't know how he did it and uh even when he's in movies that are not particularly, you know, demanding of the viewer, the equalizer, he does, he has, he brings something to it. He's unpredictable uh, on the screen. You know what I mean? He can lose he's his He's terrific temper. in those yeah, movies. He, he, <laughs> yeah. He's just, you know, when he has that scene in Man on Fire, when he has the cor- corrupt guy that they've inserted that thing in his hands, that's going to blow him up. And he looks at his watch and he says, time. And he says, I, 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 I need some time. He goes, time? You, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have all the time in the minute in the world. You have 2.1 minutes, two, two minutes, and he walks away and it blows up. And he has that way. And when he was torturing that guy, the, the crooked um, Mexican cop who's involved in the kidnapping and man on fire, and it's pretty gruesome. But the way he talks, it's just... It's, it's almost eerie that how he's able. And the same thing was true when he was in early in his uh, career with with uh, Glory. So any movie with him in it as Hannibal, I think, would be great. And I can imagine what he can bring to that role. I mean, he can be mercurial. He can go from very angry to very sensible. He he's just a, a genius. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And yeah. I've written about Hannibal before, uh, both in uh, I've written about Cani and in Carnage and Culture. I got a new book coming out about the destruction of Carthage, so I, I know somewhat about Punic culture. And uh, I'm not sure that if you saw Denzel Washington, he wouldn't look somewhat like Hannibal. You know yeah. what? Maybe maybe if uh, some kind of racial essentialists would say, well, he doesn't have Negroid features. I don't know what that means anymore, but the, the value of him and that character, believe me, outweighs any consideration of his complexion. You know, Victor, if I may, just um, spring in something here on you about Hannibal. Uh, not all battlefields are uh, equal when it comes to tourists, like Chancellorsville, uh, this, you know, ferocious battle in the woods is, you know, so, not not the most easily observable if you're there touring, as opposed to say Gettysburg or Spotsylvania Courthouse, etc. So I'm curious: are there any particular 
uh, battlefields today where uh, where Hannibal fought in Italy, northern Africa, where, that are, uh, for a military buff, are worth seeing. And, you know what I mean, observable as I can see how the battle played out here. And he, you, I'm making an assumption that you've been to some of, some of the battlefields in Italy. I could be wrong. Anyway, anything to... Uh, Yes. Uh, He's famous uh, in the Second Punic War when he invaded Italy and came over the Alps. And that pass at St. Bernard, you can see, but it's hard to find out. It's under uh, disruption. But he fought four battles when he came in between 219 and 216, and he won all of them. And they were at the River Trebia, and you can go there and see the River Trebia. I haven't been to the Tychinus River, Trichinus. That was a minor skirmish. I have been to Lake Trasimene in northern Italy, and I've been – there's a pillar, I think, as I remember at Cani, you can see. Uh, so you can see the battlefields, and three of them I don't think are under dispute where it was. Um and Zama, where Scipio Africanus defeated him, is about, as I remember, I've been to Tunis about three or four times, and it's about um, 20 miles, as I recall, from the modern town of Tunis, which is itself the suburbs are incorporating ancient Carthage. Ancient Carthage is destroyed. It was destroyed by the Romans, and then they tried to refound it. Uh, by the Gracchi, it didn't work. And then Caesar, I think in 46 BC, founded something called uh, Carthago uh, Nova, New Carthage. And it became, you know, by the third century AD, it became, I think, the second largest city on the Mediterranean coast, other than Rome, uh, Alexandria, maybe Antioch, Alexandria, then Carthage. It had 500,000 people in it. And it's it really created a really, especially in the Christian era, you know, Augustine of Hippo. Hippo wasn't not very far from it. So there was a whole Christian uh, Berber community. I think you could say that Augustine himself was a Berber or at least a Berber blood. And uh, so, yeah, you can go to Zalma today and you can see it. And that's in uh, you remember the movie with Patton when he he's in the North Africa campaign, he drives, says, take me out here. And the guy goes, right. what's what's here? And he said, don't you hear it? And it's the he says that he's been there before as if he was either Scipio or Hannibal. But you can see these. The thing about battlefields, um, except for Waterloo, maybe there, there's not a lot of commemoration. So you have to you have to really study and then you go out there and they're hard to get to a lot of times that once you're out there and you know exactly what the ancient sources say and you walk them and i'm thinking of the battle i think i've been to 50 of them in greece the battle of luke the battle of marathon the battle of plataea the battle of salamis the battle of mantinea one and two all of those uh, and i've spent you know a good part of my mm-hmm. life walking them and, and i've written about them but it's essential to go to them if you're going to write about them i think And um, it's in this new book, I have been numerous times to classical Thebes. It was destroyed by Alexander the Great. I've been, um, I think, five or six times to Constantinople, Istanbul. I have been to New Carthage. It was destroyed. And I have been to Mexico City. It sits on top of Tenochtitlan. 
So, and that helped me write about it so I can see, you know, the area and you can remember what you saw and didn't see. And you, when you look at geographical accounts of the sieges, you, you have some idea that you're familiar with it. Okay. Well, thanks. Well, Victor, we're going to get your thoughts on two people of the left who seem to have surprised us, well, me anyway, I'll just speak for myself, uh, with their views on Israel and the border. And the, those people are Chris Cuomo and John Fetterman. And we'll get your thoughts on this, Victor, when we come back right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, you may have seen the clip and maybe have uh, by now, maybe many of our listeners have, that Chris Cuomo, who has a show now on, on uh, News Nation, um, who seems a little less cheerleady than he uh, had been when he was at CNN, but gave about a 10-minute monologue the, the other day. And again, we're recording on the, here on the 16th of December. Uh, he, he had seen, uh, he had, uh, I guess as a member of the media, had been invited to and attended a screening of, what do you call it, an atrocity screening of what happened in Gaza and the kibbutzes and just just totally, totally overwhelmed by, uh, by that and uh, casting his, uh, you know, his, his uh, uh, feelings, not feeling now, his position that Hamas, it, it's, it wants the total destruction of Israel. So how can Israel not fight uh, with that being, I hate the word context, but that's the freaking context. That's the reality. These people want to kill us. So they have to, the Israelis have to defend themselves in that. It was very powerful talk. I don't know how influential it will uh, be in convincing 
others on the left. Another person on the left, I think it's true, he says, no, I'm not a progressive, but it's John Fetterman, who we've talked about many times on this podcast and and made fun of on this podcast. Um, um, but he has of late been a little uh, surprising. Uh, I know it. I, I, not only on, on the border, on on, on the madness at, uh, down, down south. So anyway, Victor, your thoughts on these two? Oh, hey, I, it, people have remarked maybe that the stroke had some kind of unintended or unpredictable stimulus on his brain. I don't know what's happened, but he's not only been very good on the Israeli war, but he's been very good on the Israeli war in front of massive criticism of people come up and yell at him and stuff. And some people have suggested that he understands that Trump is running four points ahead, five points in Pennsylvania that's moved to the right. And maybe he would be better in sync with it as their governor, I think, is uh, more of a moderate Shapiro. But I don't know what the cause is, but he's been pretty good. I don't know. It doesn't seem authentic. It does to me. No, I'm just saying that what other people, to me it does. And I I don't know why on this particular issue, but given other things he said that were pretty left wing during the campaign, that he's right on. He's right on the border. He's right on this issue as well. He's right on crime. He's been very good on crime about the prosecution, letting out, you know, the Soros prosecutors, et cetera. And Chris Cuomo, I wasn't a big fan, but I did watch that monologue and he was he was genuinely upset and angry at it. Even somebody that you know very well, and I'm not a big fan of because they attacked me on his show a lot, Joe Scarborough, really tore into one of his uh, guests the other day who was a professor from Princeton, Gaudel or whatever his name, the African-American professor about Hamas. And he did? You know, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah you right. should watch it. He just said, you know, that he just kept saying they butchered civilians. Yeah. They tried to I, wipe them out. This is after yeah. the Holocaust. It's the worst day of killing. What do you want them to do? I don't think these. So I think that Fetterman and Cuomo and even Scarborough, for all of their left wing sympathies, they understand one thing, that this is different. When you go in and you break into a country and you don't hunt out the soldiers, but you hunt out older women, older men, infants, children, unarmed women, and you intentionally and by plan rape them and mutilate them and cut off their breasts and put babies into ovens and commit necrophilia and dismemberment. You are pre-civilizational. You are trying to tell the world that this is what you want to do to every Jew in the world. And anybody who can't see that and can't see that Israel has to, to extinguish that, that whole idea, that whole ideology, they're morally bankrupt. And so um, and Joe Biden is morally bankrupt. We need to say to Israel, it's in your interest not to kill civilians. And we know you were pretty humane. And you'd probably do a better job than we did at Fallujah and Mosul. So we trust you and go in. Our only request is destroy Hamas as quickly as possible with the least cost to yourself. And here are the weapons that we can give you. And they will get it done. And if you do that, then Iran and Hezbollah will not intervene. And instead, we're giving them the opposite ceasefire. If they have a ceasefire or they show any hesitation, Hamas will come out of the bunkers 
as victorious and Hezbollah will start sending more missiles in and Iran will start telling the Houthis to sink, try to sink ships and we'll have a, a theater war. And we're, they're doing us and humanity a big favor about getting rid of Hamas. And you yeah. know what? If they defeat Hamas and humiliate Hamas, these protests will dry up in the United States. They really will especially if the Gulf states come in with their money and maybe Egypt and they have some kind of international consortium to rebuild Hamas under international supervision without, I mean, Gaza without Hamas. So the thing that's most startling, let's just be honest, Jack, the most startling thing about the whole thing are these people, the more they have a BA, MA, PhD, JD, whatever degree, the more bankrupt they are in this issue. And the more they're centered in a university, the more amoral they are. And the more likely they come from the Middle East, the more antithetical to American values they are. That's just a fact on this issue. And nobody wants to talk about it. And they have to be refuted and they have to be challenged. And everybody has to challenge them all the time. And well, there's, there's, I, had, I think we should, well, we'll talk later, if you know, about uh, some of these chuckleheads at MIT, the board getting challenged by that, that billionaire, Bill Ackerman, who's very active on Twitter slash X and, and is uh, exposing some of the crap that goes on at the highest levels of these, these academic institutions. But if I, if I can ask you, spring something on you again, Victor, about we're just talking about annihilation. Your book that's coming out in May. Um, is that is that what has to happen in God? I mean, I don't, I, I don't see how quote victory, quote unquote victory, happens unless there's annihilation of of uh, of Gaza. Uh, I mean, otherwise. They have to. They, they have to destroy. They have to destroy Hamas. They have to destroy all the tunnels. They have to destroy all the financial links from Gutter. They've got to get everybody who's living it up in Gutter. They've got to get the people in Beirut, and they have to destroy the hierarchy. And they have to kill as many of the. They have to kill all the people who went into to Israel, and they do know their names now because of the vast numbers of prisoners. And then they have to destroy that as an organization. And then they have to find, and that's going to be elusive, enough money and enough international supervision to allow an alternate government to take in in there. And then in addition to that, they've got to give up on the sophisticated electronic drone cameras wall. They've got to build a huge edifice along the Gaza border that goes down about 30 feet and it goes up about 70 feet and is impenetrable and then put all of their electronic gadgetry. But when you looked, when I saw that fence and I saw that stuff, when I first went down there on my first visit to Israel, I thought to myself, Oh my God, that is not going to stop people. And it didn't. And so, they're going to I think they'll get it done. I really do. And I think they're going to have more military uh, bases along the borders with Israel. And it's going to be very hard for them to uh, do it again. Remember, once they 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 get surprised, Yom Kippur War, they destroy their enemies almost. And we have not had a conventional war after that. 
once they got surprised and they didn't know what they were in and they had a mediocrity Omar in 2006, once they got going and they kind of really damaged Beirut to a degree that nobody would ever want that again, they haven't had a problem. And they will do the same thing with Hamas if we let them. But um, we've got a lot of people who are on the wrong side of this issue. They're they're rooting for Hamas, literally. Yeah. And some yeah. people say, well, that's unfair. It's just the Palestinians. No, you were rooting for the death and the destruction, the mutilation before the idea responded. You know who you are. I walked out on, a, I think it was November 9th, and there were people out on the campus ripping down posters of captives, coming up to you as you walk, handing you literature, chanting River to Sea, writing chalk on the Stanford pavement. And the IDF hadn't done one thing yet. And they were right. they were giddy. Yeah. Were they wearing masks, by the way, some of them? I mean, uh, <laughs> N30, N95 masks, but the, were they no, wearing they 50, uh, scarves, scarf masks? Or, yeah. I mean, half uh, of the half, another thing people should do, just be empirical. Forget about the politics. Just ask yourself, here is a march in Washington of supporters of Israel. Here is a huge march of pro-Hamas. Ask yourself, which group gets people arrested? Which group shuts down traffic? Which group defaces public property? Which group is mask which group screams about genocide and destruction and which doesn't and if you can make that distinction and transfer it to the middle east that's all you need to know yeah. which side mutilates which side mass rapes which side sends rockets in without warning to kill civilians which side when they bomb drops leaflets and somebody says, well, look at all the numbers. Look at all the numbers. It's asymmetrical. Well, then it would be very symmetrical. All Hamas has to do is put their hands up and surrender or even just take all of the hostages and say, you know, we screwed up. We don't believe in hostage taking. It's against the Quran. Here's all the hostages. But they won't surrender and they won't give up the hostages and they won't stop using human shields. So what are you going to do? Just say, oh, that's just a one-off. Hamas says they won't do it again. When their leaders say we're going to do it again, again, a million times. And the guy in Beirut just said the other day that we're planning something right now. Right. Yeah. And so I don't think they understand that if they do it again and try it again, it's not going to be just Hamas that's going to be destroyed. They're going to take out Hezbollah. Hezbollah has been very quiet. Very quiet. They're looking at Gaza and they're thinking, this looked like Beirut in 2006. It really does. And it's taken us almost 20 years to get back. And we don't want to go back to 2006. And yeah. the world, and then they're starting to say, you know, the world hates us. And the Europeans are sick of us. And uh, most of the Arab countries don't like Hezbollah. And everybody hates Iran, and even their patrons, China and Russia, don't like them. And if anybody attacks Hezbollah in retaliation, I should say, and same thing with Iran, there's not going to be any public sympathy anywhere. People look at those two countries and they say, these people just cause trouble. All they do is kill. They're just a death cult. They don't do anything positive. 
Iran doesn't do anything positive. It sells oil to supply weapons to destroy Israel, to arm the Houthis, to take over the Lebanese government, to back Bashar Assad. That's what they do. Mm. And I think there's going to be a reckoning. I really do. And I think one of the things is we're going to look really hard on immigration and green cards and visas from the Middle East. I don't know why we have the former... Iranian ambassador to the UN here in the United States at Oberlin. I do not know why at Georgetown we have a high-ranking former Iranian diplomat here. All of them still have ties with the theocratic government. I just think as a matter of principle, we should just say, if you're from Iran at this unfortunate time in its history, you're not coming to the United States. Just yeah. forget it. And if, and you're, if you're here, here already, we're <laughs> please. And I think we need to say, if you're from the West Bank or Gaza, we just want to take a hiatus. You don't uh-huh. like us, and we're we're kind of angry at you. So let's just be friends, but don't come over here. And we promise we will not go to Gaza or the West Bank. I think we need to say the same thing about Syria and other countries there. Just say, you know what? You feel this about us, and we're not going to reciprocate with that level of hatred, but let's just have a little cooling off period. You stay over there and we'll stay over here. How's that? And then we need to pump oil like crazy. And you know, the Biden administration is doing that now. Suddenly, while they're telling everybody about climate change, they look at this election and $5 and 50 cents in California. And they're just, they've added another 2 million barrel. Joe Biden, they don't talk about it, but they're, they're pumping oil like crazy to win the election, but it does have the unintended effect for them, at least unintended that we're going to be more uh, immune from leverage and coercion from the Middle East. Well, you know, I'm glad you raised the Middle East and I mentioned Ackerman before we get to MIT. We'll get to him. But before any of this, Victor, I have to to let our listeners, dear listeners know that the apples in their holiday pies, even though they might taste amazing, it's not exactly one of the rec- five recommended servings of fruits and vegetables. It doesn't, doesn't count if it's in pie. The Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure and cholesterol, you have to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day, which is almost impossible. And that's why you need to check out Field of Greens. Every fruit fruit and vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs like heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Join me, stay healthy this year with Field of Greens. For our listeners, listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show, uh, Field of Greens is giving you 15% off your first order when you go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR. To get your 15% off your first order, visit fieldofgreens.com. Use the promo code VICTOR. That's promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. And we thank the good people at Field of Greens for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Hey, Victor, um, we I got a um, – it was on, it was on uh, X slash Twitter – um, a question to you it came to me, but then uh, the guy named Jack Stewart, he posted this the other day. VDH, here's what he writes. Sir, please help me understand this. I know why the rich climate crisis elites like Kerry, John Kerry, are doing what they do. But why are the emir of the United Arab Emirates and others 
in the oil-rich, oil-dependent nations, why are they happily voting with them, the John Kerry's of the world, to eliminate their own source of wealth, oil? Victor, yeah. Is this just a game? Are they just posing? Yes, um, I think it is. I, I don't have any choice. They, they have a lot of investments in the West, and all of their technology and expertise comes from the West. And they know it's not just that they're joking around or they're not sincere. The, the people in the West who are presented are not sincere. They know better than anybody that nobody's buying an EV car. And they know for now that, I mean, privately, Saudis and the Emirates and Kuwait, they look at us and they think, why, are, if we're going to eliminate fossil fuels, are you pumping oil to such a, a volume that our prices are crashing? So obviously, when you tell us that we have to be weaned off fossil fuels and you don't believe it and because you can't do it because nobody wants your electric car, you don't have nuclear power yet, you won't do anything else, wind and solar won't do it. So the fact of the matter is, you know it and we know it, that you have to have oil and natural gas. And we understand that you can't say that. So you should understand that we will we'll just mimic you. But and then privately, we'll cut oil and natural gas deals. That's what it's all about. And that's just the way it is until yeah. we until we get everybody knew that even it's a finite commodity. And even with our vast new holdings due to fracking and horizontal drilling, there's a finite number of cubic feet of natural gas and barrels of oil. We get that. And, but we have to use it to not to keep the middle class viable while we develop more efficient batteries, fusion power, hydrogen power, alternate sources of fuel. But this idea that you're just going to buy fiat, nobody believes they're going to do that. Nobody knows they can do that. And, you know, we have an electric car. It's a Tesla. Yeah, and, it's going to be recalled, isn't it? Uh, well, everything uh, uh, is recalled. Uh, yeah, I, I saw. Uh, what's that about? Why? why? That's autopilot. I don't have that. One. I didn't get oh, that. Oh, okay. I okay. have the I have the ability to add it, but I never did. Why would I want an autopilot? That's it's a wonderful car to drive seventy miles a day to commute. It really yeah. is. But when you want to go three hundred miles, or for me, for me to take it over to Powell two hundred, then I don't want to plan my trip. You know, I'm going to have right. lunch here and hope there's an open supercharger. Then I get to Palo Alto and I'll drive over to a supercharger. I don't want to do that. But if I can charge it here at my house, fine. But as far as recalls, every car, I mean, I have <laughs> my Echo Diesel saga. Was, besides the turbo it's problem, it still has the, the still high, going on? <laughs> high pressure. Oh, yeah. See, I, mean, I was whining as uh, Eeyore to... Sammy the other day because it's now five months out of the two years that I've had it. Five months. I haven't even had it. Five months it's been in the shop, either waiting for a part or it was fixed and they didn't fix it right. So it's the whole concept of a turbo that all of these new pickups have six and six cylinder engines that can develop when they're pulling or when they're going fast, enormous amounts of horsepower by using a turbo, forcing the injection of oxygen and fuel at a fantastic high pressure rate into the engine. But it's now substitute. It's a way to to get power when you need it without having a low gas 
miles per gallon. And it's no substitute, believe me, for a Toyota V8. I had a 2006 Tundra Jack, and that thing just keeps running. It's never had one thing go wrong with it. It's only got a 4.7. It's an old-fashioned V8. It's almost 20 years ago, 20 years old. I think it's rated only at 7,000 pounds. You can take a 7,500-pound boat and go straight uphill with nothing. It's so and so and you take a new one that says, oh, it's rated at 12,000 pounds. Don't try it. I did. <laughs> and they don't know they don't know how to fix them. So when it broke yeah. the turbo, they did. They fix the turbo and then it broke again. And yeah. then the, they can't get the parts. I don't know if it's just Ram or Dodge, but I made a big, big mistake. I should have gone from the very beginning right before they stopped making Toyota V8s. I should have just gone in. 2021 and said, I want a V8 Toyota and I'll pay whatever you have because that was the best truck I ever had. I gave it to my daughter. It's it's the only reliable truck. I mean, I bought, I have this Echo Diesel. It's useless. And I'm, I'm betting that I'm going to get an email from some listener to say, I heard the podcast and I have, <laughs> I have a Toyota V8. Put me in touch with it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Touch with Victor. <laughs> what do I do with it, though? I offered the dealer. I offered the dealer. I said, since I it hasn't even, you know, it was March 21 and 22, 23. It's two, I don't know, it's two, a little over two and a half years, but it's been in the shop. Or it's either been home broken, waiting to get into the shop, or actually in the shop waiting for over five months, and they don't have they don't have any compensation. And I've talked to the dealer, I've talked to Ram Mopar, I've talked to all of them, and I've just very politely said, "You sold me this product. You said it was going. It was it was a wonderful truck when it ran for twenty thousand miles. It had thirty miles of the gallon. It had." Uh, a 32 gallon, you can get 800 miles on it without filling up. It was a beautiful ride. It was just a commute car. As long as you didn't try to tax it, I suppose. I don't even think the turbo came on all the time. But my point is this, that uh, I offered them, I just said, you stood by your product. You you told me it would be wonderful. I should try thinking about a diesel. I did. I paid an extra three or $4,000 over the regular Ram V8 gas price take it just pay me the fix it it's fixed have my bed liner have my um my bed top i put on take my $2,500 warrant just give me the blue book price and then you know what i'll buy another i'll buy a gas ram from you if that makes you happy and, and they won't do it so yeah. And then, and then you know, they. It's like everybody gets frustrated with the supply chain shortage. You know, the person I call says, "This is very important to us. You're, uh, and we're going to stay on top of it. We're going to notify the dealer, and we're going to get this resolved. And we will think about this offer you suggest." And then nothing, nothing. And then the dealer, the owner, of the dealer said, "I will be contacting you on a regular." Nothing. And then the part said, "We'll make sure we update you." And nothing. So it's just. Yeah. It's like flying on flying. It's like flying on the airlines, and they say, you know, we have a little glitch. We'll be, we'll yeah. be back up in thirty minutes. Oh, it'll be two hours. Oh, it'll be three hours. Oh, you got to get deep plane, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, Victor, uh, let's go. Let's go. Let's. let's I, go I, I shouldn't mention that. It's like taking that. Somebody wrote me. They wrote uh, Sammy. 
on the website, but they, I think somebody wrote it's a dead horse or somebody said that because what about the travel? travel? No, no, the Echo Diesel. Oh, the Echo Diesel. Oh, 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 sorry. It's my fault. I, you know, I went over and it was, they said, you know, there, we don't have a V8 at the Toyota place. And so I went over and the guy said, you might want to consider a diesel. It gets so much gas, better gas mileage. And I thought, well, I'm not going to tow anything. I'm just going to drive over to Stanford. And for two, for two years, it was wonderful. I just went along the old by rolls at 55, 32 miles a gallon, no problem. And then the turbo went out and then they couldn't fix it. And then there's a recall in the fuel pump that says, I love the letters they send you. This could be dangerous and cause injury under certain conditions. And then you call and say, okay, I better get it fixed. They said, we don't have the part. You don't have the part. Don't send the recall notice. It's, uh, it's this yeah. is weird. I, I just don't remember American car dealers. Um, it's just. And, you know, I've driven Hondas. Uh, I've never had a problem with a Honda. Toyota never never had a problem with a Toyota. I know that I'd like to buy, and I now I have this American Ram, and I had earlier bought a Ram pickup twenty years ago, and I had a lot of problems with it. So this is I'm done, and I you know I have it's a long story, but well, uh, well these this kind of issue is is applicable in many ways. I remember when you were up in Maine a couple a couple of years ago, you were going, and I happened to be there at the same time, and we couldn't. You were going to. Uh, be interviewed by Tucker. Yeah, and I and I the, the the day or two before that happened, Sharon and I were up there for a week renting a house on some like, and and we got a flat tire, and then we were told we, we may not be able to fix the tire till uh, you know another eight nine days. Like, but we got to be out of here in five days. But we can't find any. What happened? What like, happened in this country? What happened? Yeah. It was this was the greatest country in the world. They could fix anything. They could get supply chain. I can remember. I can remember taking a tractor in and having it fixed the same day. I can, I, I can remember that. I don't remember any of this before. I don't know if it's we're no good, our generation, or the government's no good, or the corporations just hate their customers, the Bud Light, Disney, Target factor, but they just treat you like crap, and they can't fix anything, and they don't know what they're doing, and they don't care. The only difference is, I, you know, I'll just give a plug. I got so sick of all of this during this thing. So I went out and I've never had, I went and priced all these Hondas and Toyotas and they had a sale on the last generation of V6 um, SUVs for Lexus, right? And it was no more expensive really than a passport. And I bought one from Fresno Lexus. Okay. And it's a V6. And I tell you, Jack, that thing, I have driven it everywhere. It's got 20,000 miles. It doesn't even have a hiccup. And I hit a deer and almost got killed in it. And it destroyed the sensors in the front, took off a fender. We took it over to Fresno Lexus. They were going to get this fixed. They took it to a body shop. We had it back in five days. And it's been wonderful. So, so if I wish that I, when I, I said to somebody as I left, you got, you guys sell pickups? <laughs> Do you yeah. have a pickup? Can Fresno Lexus give me some kind of Toyota Tundra pickup on used car dealer? Because you guys are wonderful and uh, your product is wonderful. But that's the exception. Yeah. Well, uh, proof again, by the way, that you hit a deer and almost died amongst the, the that you you 
are indestructible. Yeah, it was a uh, Victor. <laughs> I do- I dodged two big deers with horns at five in the morning going up once to seven thousand feet. It was four thirty in the morning, and then I dodged a fan, and the fourth, fifth one hit me right in the fender, took out the fender, took out the sensors in front of the grill, and then rolled over, and I stopped, and I'm having this mid-sized deer twitching on my hood. And then I yeah. th- threw him off, and then I took some pliers and tore off all the shards and the so I could keep going, I and I kept going. Yeah. And um, it was Gosh. sad. And you know what was weird? I put him very carefully at the side of the road when I came back uh, about seven hours later after working on the house. He was gone. Yeah. Well, he was uh, feeding a family of four somewhere. <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, the circle of life. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's um, let's get uh, uh, talk about other, another dysfunctional place, and this is uh, higher the higher levels, inner circles that run our prestigious universities. And Bill Ackman, I said Ackerman before. I apologize, Bill Ackman, who's the CFO of uh, Pershing Square. He's you know one of these billionaires, but very active and very vocal and public in this fight against these uh, college uh, presidents uh, and uh, anti-Semitism. Well, he he is, uh, he should be a journalist. He's tweeting slash Xing about MIT. So MIT quickly gave a pass to, uh, oh my gosh, I forget her name, the president there who was one of the three. Corn Bluth, is that her name? Corn Bluth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it turns out here, like, what's going, what goes on? Who runs these institutions? And, of course, they have boards of trustees who are basically there, So I think, so they could, as a matter of prestige, right, Victor? I mean, nobody wants to become a member of a board of a, uh, a woke college and, and try to uh, fix it. But this, the chairman of the board of um, MIT, his wife has a nonprofit that – MIT funds, and it's almost, it seems like it's the exclusive of funders. So in a, in a, in a nutshell, um, it is so self-serving. So many of these board members at these prestigious institutions uh, have um, are self-serving in a way, whether it's prestige and not doing anything or you know what college i have a my spouse my wife has this very important nonprofit. by the way what was her nonprofit about it was about selling dei crap and uh, uh so this is what this is the chairman of the board of mit this is the, these are the kind of people that oversee these institutions that again claim to be prestigious but then also are fonts for uh, the dis- uh, destruction of Western civilization. So anyway, Victor, it's no surprise to you, I know, but uh, I just thought I'd put it out there and see if you had any any thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing that this captain of finance, who's given so generously to Harvard, has come out so strongly when he, he, I think he's a man of the left. Most people at Wall Street are at that level of wealth. I know that he was a big backer of Bloomberg, and the only thing is, he, he he did he tweeted something during Kyle Rittenhouse, the guy who self defense everybody's angry at, who saved himself by right. shooting that child molester. If that's what he was, one of them. Yes, but he had defended him. So I, I think he's empirical. He's defended Elon Musk, but I admire what he's saying when he exposes all of this um, 
I don't know what you would call it, corruption. And then he's been really insistent that uh, Claudine Gay has to go. I think she will go eventually. I don't think you can defend yourself from plagiarism. And then when they they look at her career for the first time and she talks about her scholarly integrity and they see 11 anemic articles and somehow she translated 11 or four into Stanford tenure and then the other seven into Harvard tenure when everybody knows that that gets you no tenure at any normal uh-huh. public, public university. And then, she's college, kind of, she's- and, and then you add plagiarism and then you add her hypocrisy about what she did to ro- well, wait, wait, I, I have to interrupt. Fire. Isn't she like Obama? I mean, who didn't do anything to, to no. write? So no scholarship, but he was no. never constitutional. He always told us he was a constitutional yeah. law professor. They gave him a year off to write his constitutional book. And what did he do? He wrote about himself. If he yeah. did, if he did write it, which he lied when he wrote about himself, he lied about lied. people, <laughs> right? He made up, people. made it all, made them all yeah. up. Even his girlfriend yeah. said he was a liar. Yeah. So and. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, we, it's it's true. So I admire the guy I, and uh, I admire any of the people who take a, an active look at how they give their money. If you again, if you have the wherewithal and you write a check to an Ivy League school or Stanford or Duke or Berkeley or any of these prestigious places and you don't very carefully say how it has to be used and under the circumstances, you can take it back and then. You have to concede this is fungible so that whatever they save by your gift, they'll use to screw around somewhere else. You're giving heroin to an addict. You're giving gasoline to an arsonist. You really are. And you're giving, you know, somebody who has weight problems, you're giving them a pie. And that's that's the problem. And we've got to stop it. We've got to get away. We're never going to save our universities till we get away from this idea that you get branded as if you're anointed if you went to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Stanford or somewhere or Chicago. That doesn't matter. It's what you learned. And we're learning very quickly that what they teach at these places is not competitive. You can get a better education at the University of Michigan or Michigan State, and they are been DEI'd as well. But you can get just as good, if not better, at half the cost. So I think what's going to happen, just like a beer, just like a supermarket doesn't want Bud Light out on their marquee as you walk in the door, a big display, I think it's going to get to the point where when you say you went to Stanford or Harvard or Princeton, Yale, people are going to look at you twice and say, hmm. You got in without an SAT. You got in without meritocratic criteria. You got in for some particular non-meritocratic qualification. You had a watered-down curriculum. You had you were beneficiary of grade inflation. The the degree means nothing anymore. We're sorry. I think Even that's what's more than that. Maybe Victor, like, oh my God, if I hire this person, this would be. The- just HR. Like central casting, yeah, for correct. For, I think I, I, I've told that story so many times of a of Silicon Valley person who said, "When you, I prefer the Georgia Tech coder because not only are they better trained than the Stanford court coder now, but they don't camp out at HR right. and, and lodge complaints about everything. This generation is just, you know, they're just HR people. And it's just so much easier just to, you know, and then when you have all these new colleges starting to appear and et cetera, et cetera, there's such an opportunity now 
for trade schools to step up and we're short plumbers, electricians, sheetrockers, roofers. We need more people in those trades. They're very well compensated now. And it, and it's just, it makes sense that you should not, you should not go to a four year prestigious college, pay that kind of money and major in psych or sociology or ethnic study, anything with studies at the end of it as yeah. the suffix. It's just, a, it's just like blowing your brains out. It really is. And, we need to get rid of all the DIE. DEI. Just think of the billions of dollars you'd save nationwide. You could have more challenging math courses, physics courses, medical school courses. And it would really be good for the DEI people. They'd say, oh, my God, the SAT's back. I'm going to start studying, really prep just like the, you know, the privilege, so-called privilege do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to beat them at their own game. I'm going to look at the Asian model. I'm going to follow it. I think it was Jesse Jackson that said 30 years ago, I wish everybody would take a picture of an Asian or video during a day and just copy what they do. Remember he said that? And that yeah. would be that would be good for other minorities. And but, you know, it's I think they've really I, they're they're committing collective suicide and they know it and they can't stop. They're like an addict that knows one more injection and I'm going to die. And they're thinking. One more speaker that we deplatform, one more library that we let Middle Eastern students swarm, one more right. te testimony, and we're all done. And yet they can't stop it, and it's going to happen. And yeah, they know um, they know that. They would rather be wrong and destroyed than thrive and be politically incorrect. No tears would come out of these eyes, man. Nobody's going to so, miss man. them. Nobody likes them. Nobody likes them anymore, you know. Yeah. I don't tell anybody I went to Stanford. I really, I'm not just saying that to act, you know, perverse or something or iconoclastic. I don't, when I have my column or so, I try not to have PhD Stanford. I don't have it there. Mm. The, only, the only time I ever mention is when somebody mentions it to me that they went there, you know, or they're right. bragging, bragging about it. I've had that a lot. You know, when I came from Fresno State, people would say at Stanford, well, you know, you're not a culturated Stanford. Right. Right. That then I'd say, oh yeah, I've been this place. I know you. I've seen the other side of your one eye jack face. But <laughs> but yeah, but you don't you don't want to. I don't try to. I, I, that's why I really didn't. Pete Hesse, Hexess, didn't he burn his Harvard BA uh, degree? On, I think he did. On, I love I Pete. Think, yeah, I think he did. I like him a lot. And yeah. so I thought that was pretty good when he did that. Yeah. Well, Victor, we've come to the. Uh, Conclusion. There were a couple other topics I wish we could have talked about. Uh, like, uh, oh my gosh, San Francisco is kind of running away from uh, its whole reparations BS. That it that's was. just the money. <laughs> that's just the money. They looked at the the more money they gave the reparations. Uh, they talked about the more people wanted more than more. It was, oh my gosh! Yeah, and, and, then, and by the way, I, th I think I think hypothetically, if that had been done, I still think uh, within two years. You know, most of the people who got the money would be broke again. You know, it's just, uh, it's not, it's not a cure for anything. Hard work and meritocracy. I had a, I had a better way of giving um, reparations. If you want to give reparations, let's give all the families of soldiers who died in Iraq, Afghanistan, yeah. the first Gulf War, Korea, Vietnam, World War II. Let's just give them money, huh? Because they died for this country. Yeah, and they, and they never lived very long. And you, they, you see how our president treats they, the gold star yeah. families, right? Yeah. You know, they're this, they're the heroes and the military. Yeah. Let's give, let's take the reparations, and give 
some stuff to combat troops. Yeah. Give them higher pay because boy, they're the best pe- they're the best combat troops in the world and what they're doing to the military is just yeah. it's horrible. Well, Victor, uh we have a lot a lot of listeners and we thank them for listening, a lot of new listeners also, so hope you're liking the wisdom that Victor cranks out now four times or four times a week, twice through the bumblings and stumblings of me and two other times with the great, great Sammy, Sammy uh, Wink. Uh, those who listen via iTunes and Apple can rate the show with stars, zero to five stars, and can leave comments. Comments can also be left at, at Victor's website. Uh, I don't think I, I, I think I forgot to talk about it. The Blade of Perseus, where if you want to read anything and everything Victor's written, you can do that there. Yes, we do. Everything. We cut the Medusa's head every day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's hanging there. But, hey, you're going to try and read these ultra articles Victor's written. It's about two or three a week he does, and you're not going to be able to do it unless you are a subscriber. Christmas is a couple of days away. Give yourself a present. Give yourself the present of the Blade of Perseus. Five bucks gets you in the door. It's $5 a month, but take a whole year. It's $50 discounted. So you'll find links to Victor's books, podcast archives, and uh, again, all his other appearances on Megan Kelly and other podcasts. And uh, yeah, the Blade of Perseus, VictorHanson.com. You're depriving yourself if you don't go there. Um, Anyway, those who do listen on iTunes and Apple uh, uh, can also leave comments. And here's one comment. It's titled Student Loans. Uh, uh, Thank you for your show. You clarify things that many of us feel don't have, uh, feel, but don't have the words for. Regarding student loans, I never got one when I was in college from 1978 to 1982 because I used the GI Bill and my part-time job as a janitor to pay as I went. I remember fellow students going to banks for their loans so did the banks then back the loans and make sure that the students were making progress towards a marketable degree? That's a question. Uh, we'll answer that another day. Please keep up the good work of speaking truth to leftist power. And that's been assigned by Ben called Superman. So thank you, Ben called Superman. Uh, I hope you were in a, a cape. Um, as for me, we'll close this out. Well, I'll let you know that Jack Fallon, it's me. I write civil thoughts. Comes out every Friday. It's a free weekly email newsletter that's published by the Center for Civil Society at Amfeld, where we are trying desperately to strengthen civil society. And what is Civil Thoughts? It is my recommended readings of 14 things, articles I've come across in the previous week that you, I'm confident you will want to know about and want to read. And I give you an excerpt of each article and a link. So check it out. Sign up at civilthoughts.com. It's free and we're not selling your name. We're not, we're not exploiting, no risk, none of that. Uh, Victor, you've been terrific. Victor, uh, this particular episode comes out on, I think the 21st of December. And I, uh, this is the last time I'll be on with you before Christmas. I'm pretty sure Sammy, will be with you uh, before Christmas, but I'd like to wish you 
and your family a uh, very Merry Christmas and all of our listeners uh, who, who uh, it's a great season. Merry Christmas. Enjoy. Find family, find friends uh, to be with. And thank you very much, Victor, for uh, being a great friend. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. It's been uh, a wonderful time that you've honored us by your patronage. Thank you very much. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.